Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 16th, 2023, we continue our new series titled Spiritual Disciplines, Training for Godliness. Today's sermon, Finding Rest, will be taught to us by Pastor Ed Lutz out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Enjoy. We are talking about the discipline of rest. That's a little bit of an oxymoron, it seems, doesn't it? Discipline of rest. The discipline is typically something that you do or you begin, and yet rest is what? Something we don't do when we do nothing at all. At least that's what most of us would prefer when we rest. Uh, I don't have to talk anybody in this room into the fact that we as a society are hurried, we're busy, we're restless, so that's not my job here this morning. The, my, my hope is that you would see, just like Maddie had said, that our rest is found in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, you'd think that over the course of time that it would get easier. We have one of these, right? You have one of these things here? Uh, but it seems like rather than technology and time becoming our friends, it's almost like they are traitors. They betray us. They trap us. And uh, it's quite remarkable. 1967, some of you may know this, there is a Senate committee that predicted that by the year 1995, what is that, 40 years ago, that the average American would work 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. How are we doing? Are you there? I'm not. I know that. So it's a little bit misleading, right? It seems like the more we learn, the, the more we work and the more tired we get. A Harvard Business Review even had a quote, in here, and they said this, leisure used to be a sign of wealth, but now busyness is a sign of wealth. You know, a century ago, the less you worked, the more status you had. Now, the more you sit around and relax, seems like the less you have. Doesn't that person have a job? All they do is sit around. Um, and you would say, yeah, and the Bible condemns that, right? Doesn't the Bible say something about too much rest and being lazy? Aren't there some Proverbs out there somewhere about that? Well, there's set your mind at ease. There are. Proverbs 6 says that how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? I may have said that a few times when my kids are in their teen years. <laughs> how long are you going to lay in bed? Get up. I was just quoting scripture, right? So that was okay as a parent. Proverbs 19 and Proverbs 20 say, the person who is idle suffers hunger, and if you love sleep, it'll lead to poverty. Well, we're not talking about laziness. We are talking about personal rest. So let's ask God's blessing as we look at his word. Father, we are indeed grateful. Thank you that you are a God who created us to rest. May we put aside our agendas carve out time to make sure that in our lives we put you first and we find opportunities to rest in you. And Father, we also pray this morning for churches all over the alley as, as, as people are getting up in pulpits and sharing the good news of your word and the gospel. Father, would you change our city one heart at a time and start with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in two primary passages this morning. Luke chapter 10 and then Matthew chapter 11. Luke chapter 10. If you have a pew Bible, it would be page 1033. Um, 
Good, I, I see some books out there. You could find it on your phone, uh, but I'm, my challenge today will be to not use this quite as much. So if you want to do the old-fashioned way and find a book in front of you, pull out a Bible on page 1033. Jesus is coming to a village and starting in verse 38 of chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, endearing way of speaking to her, or it could be that she was so distracted she didn't hear him the first time, so it could be, Martha, Martha, right? You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, even in ministry, even in church life, You can be so concerned with busyness that you forget to sit at the feet of the Savior. Fall is coming. Things are going to pick up. That fall frenzy, the schedules, you have multiple kids and multiple activities going all kinds of places, right? Our, our, Our vacations are over. We're back hitting the ground running. We're attacking life. We're working late. The goal today is to see if we can look at just a few tips that we can begin now before August and September come. And let's start to develop some rhythms of rest. Are you in? Are you ready? First of all, point one on your outline, rest is important. The importance of rest. Did you know that, number one, God made us to rest? You cannot not rest. Did you know that? You are created that you will sleep at some point. Even the involuntary blinking of your eyes, it's like your eyes just know that they're supposed to close. (laughs) And when you come to, to the evening, you cannot not sleep. Animals, people, we just sleep. That's how God has designed us. Now, you may pull an all nighter on occasion, or you may have a job where you maybe have to work two or three days in a row, but you will eventually, your body will tell you you have to sleep. So that's the first thing. You are made to rest. That's how God created you. Psalm 127 says that it's a gift from God. It is in vain, in fact, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God loves you. And one of the ways that he shows you that he loves you is that he's given us the gift of sleep. Isn't that amazing? You may be one of those people like me, man, you just can't shut off your mind at night. You lay there and you're, you're tossing and turning and you're thinking about the, the events of the day you just had or what's gonna come up on your schedule tomorrow. So you, you, you have noise, right? You got a sound machine or you got that fan blowing or you fall asleep to the noise of the TV because that'll kind of block out or dull what's going on inside your head. And you lie there and you're anxious. Rest is a gift from the Lord. Number two, rest reminds us that God is in control, not us. Now, you may think you have a lot of responsibilities, and you might, but can I give everybody in here, here's here's what I'm learning, 
I'm not as in control as I think I am. As a matter of fact, surprisingly, when we go down to sleep at night, when we wake up, the world is still here. <laughs> Lord willing, this, the same people are still here. No matter what kind of problems were going on the day before, somehow when I go to bed and I wake up, those problems are still there. And it's just a reminder that when we go to sleep, we are out of control, but God is the one who's running things, isn't he? So not only is sleep important because it is something that God has given us as a gift, but it reminds us that we do not call the shots. God ultimately is in control. And thirdly, this whole idea of a rhythm of rest is something that God instituted in the very act of creation. Genesis, act, uh, Genesis chapter two tells us God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, what did God do? Rested. Now he wasn't tired, simply means he stopped creating. On the seventh day, God rested. And that is to be a pattern for us. How do I know that? Because when you get to Exodus chapter 20 and, and we have the Mosaic covenant with the nation of Israel, the fourth commandment is you shall observe the seventh day, the Sabbath day, keep it holy. On that day, you shall not work. And it's grounded in the act of creation. Because that commandment goes on further and says, just like God created the world on six days and rested, so should we. So there's a rhythm of rest that even is, is based upon the rhythm of God's creation. So here's what I want to try to do. Can I, can I give us just a couple tools? This, this first half is super practical. Um, and let me tell you right off the bat, uh, I certainly don't have this figured out. You know, I used to be a baseball coach. If, in baseball, you can fail two out of three times and be in the Hall of Fame. You know that, right? You can, if, if you get one hit out of three, you hit 333 for your career, you're one of the greatest hitters of all time. So I would say I fail at least two out of three times, but I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out this rhythm of rest. And so what I'd love to do is let's give us some tools now. Maybe this week we can just maybe put one or two of these into practice so by the time the fall crazy hits, we've got a little bit of a rhythm. So let's start from the moment we wake up. You wake up in the morning. Um, I used to, and again, sometimes I do, but I used to just go right to my phone, look at my text messages, look at my emails, get on one of my news sites. What are some of the things that happened during the day? What did I miss since the 10 o'clock news that happened by 6 o'clock in the morning? I'm sure there was something. I just got to see it. And I'm, I'm just tied to this thing. I've started waking up, waking up in the morning, grab my coffee, sitting on the couch, sitting on the patio, and I'm just quiet, thinking, praising the Lord for the day, thinking about what he has in store. Might get on my phone, get that Get in the Word app. If you haven't got it, we invite you. Uh, we have a daily reading plan, a Highlands Church daily reading plan, Get in the Word, and, and that's been a blessing to so many of us. That's, that's so much better than reading the news starting my day in God's word and just being quiet. How about going to work? Some of us work in the basement at home. Some of us work in the high rise. Some of us for work, we've just got five littles at home and, and they're running around driving us crazy. Whatever your work is or, or whatever it is you do during the day, how can we carve out time to sit at the feet of Jesus? Just moments. We're just talking about moments here. 
I've started to turn off the radio. I happen to drive to work. I don't need to listen to sports radio. I, I give the Lord my day. I pray on my way to work. Seems to work. Lord, I don't know what your day is. I know what's on my calendar, but Lord, would you direct my steps and put people in my life that I can censor just from you and that I can be present and be in the moment. Start off your day with a quiet ride. Here's one thing I've started to do. I've started to do the speed limit. <laughs> Isn't that good? You know what the speed limit is on the 101 or the Route 51? I think it's 85. At least, at least that's what it seems like. It's amazing if I just slow down and actually do the speed limit and I'm cruising at 65, I'm getting blown away. I feel less hurried. I also have started, and this drives my wife crazy, I drive in the right lane. I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy. Some of you maybe have waved at me as you've passed me by in a fit of frustration. But it's amazing, you know, because I'm trying to slow down. You ever get behind that really slow car in the right lane and so you get frustrated and so you zip around and you, you speed up and you, you pass them and you give them that nice Christian wave and say hello and pretty soon a half mile down the road you're either getting off the exit or you're coming to a red light and what are you just hoping doesn't happen? You look in your mirror and that car that was going so slow, man, is right behind you. And then you see there's a lane next to you. Oh, please don't pull up there. So that next thing you know, that car that you're frustrated with is going so slow is sitting right next to you, and you're doing your best not to make eye contact. You see, at the end of the route, it really doesn't make that much difference. Is the speed and the hurry and the rush worth all that anxiety? How about during the day, whether you're taking care of the, the kids or at home or out at the office? I had an opportunity to lead a staff devotional this week, and one of the things I encouraged, what if we just... Lift our hands. Lift our hands. So for me, for example, at work, I'll come to work, I'll start my day. Before I even pop open that computer, lift my hands, put them on the desk, breathe, bow my head. Just be silent for a minute, quietly pray the Lord. It just seems like a natural rhythm, the start. Work for a couple hours, guess what's coming up? Lunchtime's coming up. I'm coming to the closure of that morning. So rather than just rush out, go say hey to somebody, go to lunch. Seems like a wonderful place to stop and pause and sit at the feet of Jesus. Raise my hands. Close the screen. Bow my head. Rest, thank the Lord. Go off to lunch, see my, see my friends, talk about ministry, talk about life. Coming back to the office. Before I jump in and start reading emails, discipline of rest. Bow my head, close my eyes. What is it doing? It's just an opportunity to stop and pause. See, it's stopping, it's doing nothing. You might have some littles in your house and you're thinking, man, it's crazy, you don't know. You know, maybe this is, now's the time to incorporate and I know a lot of you do this. I was talking to one young mom this weekend and how do you find rest in your day when life is just busy, crazy? Why? I have 20 minutes where I send my kids to the room and they have to stay in the room. And if they come out early, I add five minutes to it. This is genius. Wish I'd have thought of that, right? And then I just go and I either just lie on the couch or I sit or I'm quiet or I pray. 
See, incorporate a rhythm of rest. Because if we don't, the kids that we're raising are going to become just as busy and hurried as we are. Teaching a rhythm of rest within your family. When you get home from the end of the day, put the phone away. Put it on the mantle. Put it in your bedroom, but be present. You know, those emails can wait until tomorrow, can't they? Just some ideas on how to stop and slow down. Take the time to rest. Well, what about true rest? So those are some really good practical ideas. But did you know Jesus talked about a a rest that's even more enriching than that, and it's a rest for our souls a rest for your soul. And we can find that discussion in, in Matthew chapter 11. So go ahead and turn there. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 970. So we talked about the importance of rest. Let's look at the invitation of rest. The invitation that comes from the person of Jesus Christ himself. Starting in verse 28, up until this point, Jesus has been doing ministry. Hearts are becoming hardened. The message is being rejected. And so he gives this invitation in verse 28. And again, this this is one of those passages that you've read hundreds of times. You've heard it taught. You maybe have taught this. And so one thing that's, that's tempting to do is to dismiss it. But can I ask you to just quiet your heart and and see as if the Lord is speaking to you in this moment. Jesus says in verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good right now? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's look at the invitation first. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. This is a sweet invitation. Come to me. It's it's an intimate calling here. Jesus is inviting us to come to him. Who's the audience? All all, us, all who are laboring and are heavy laden. The word labor is you are, you've been working so hard that you are literally at the point of exhaustion. You're ready to just collapse. Heavy laden. You're carrying this weight on your shoulders and you can barely take another step because the weight of this is so, so great. Can I give you a summertime illustration? Just came back from the beach a few weeks ago. Went with my daughter's family. It was so much fun. It's the first time my granddaughter, my little five-year-old Quinn, had seen the ocean. I said, Quinny, you know what's on the other side of that water? China. <laughs> I, th- I think that's right. I had to go look it up afterwards in case I was wrong, but I think it's right. That's big. That's a big body of water. So as grandparents, we did the, the cool thing, right? We bought all of our sand buckets and our shovels and all that. Um, But beach vacations have not always been my best vacations. Because it seemed like when our kids were little, when we left the house, 
to go to the beach, we actually ended up packing up the house and took it with us. And do you ever have one of these experiences where you walk into the beach and you, and you find, you know, you're, you're a mile to a half a mile away because there's nowhere you can get close on a, on a summer day where you can get close to the beach parking lot. So you end up parking at least a half a mile to a mile away and you don't want to make two or three trips back and forth from the beach to the car because then you'll miss half your morning. So what do you do? Any appendage that you can stick out there, they're putting bags on and, and you're lugging coolers and all your kids are loaded up and you're, you're pulling that wagon that somebody's created because they think it's going to roll on sand. <laughs> and, and man, you're, and it's hot because you're late because you got little kids. You don't get there till 11, 12 o'clock and it's burning hot and you're pulling this thing and, and then you get to the beach and the sand and it's scorching. And of course, you got to find the place where nobody goes. So you're like seven lifeguard chairs down. And you, it's impossible to lug all that stuff with you. That's heavy laden. <laughs> That's a beach illustration. And Jesus says, if you're feeling that way, come to me. I will give you rest. But here's the ask. Here's the ask. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. A little bit different language than we're probably used to. You take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus was a rabbi, traveled and spoke. Uh, rabbis typically use this phrase, take my yoke and learn from me. It's basically their way of saying, hey, everything that I know that I've learned about life is my yoke and I'm just going to give it to you. Everything that I know, I'm going to pass on to you. This is my way of living. This is my way of learning. Walk with me. Live with me. Commit to me and let's do life together. Live side by side with me and let me show you what it means to live and learn in the things that I'm teaching you. This is discipleship. This is Jesus' call, basically, to walk the way of him, to walk the way of Jesus Christ. This is a call to discipleship. This is Jesus University 101 right here. This idea of a yoke, it's still somewhat of an unfamiliar word. What well, they took this metaphor from the idea of, if you remember, if you have any uh, image of an oxen or, or some mule, some mules, they would put this big harness, this big heavy piece of wood, and they'd line it across the back of that animal. Might have a couple harnesses in there where the heads go for the animal, and, they, and it was one of those things that the shoulders of the animal through that piece of wood would bear the weight of that cart. And so the animals would walk and help pull the cart of the plow. And Jesus is saying that that big piece of wood, that yoke, that, that's my yoke, take it. Let me walk with you. A lot of times a, a farmer would never put, for example, a two, two mature strong bulls together. You get two strong bulls, two oxen together, they'd fight, who's going to lead? A little bit of frustration there on the, on the farmer's part because they both want to do their own thing. You wouldn't put two new young ones together. They're not quite as strong, plus they maybe wouldn't know what to do the first time out. So you always put a stronger, more mature mule or ox with a newer, less mature one. And it's like Jesus is saying, 
put this harness on. Walk with me. I will walk with you. I will lead you. I will guide you. You don't have to carry the weight alone. Isn't that beautiful? That's the kind of Savior we have. Take my yoke and learn from me. Why? A couple reasons. One, he's gentle and lonely in heart, and he offers rest for our souls. One of the rare places in the New Testament, by the way, where Jesus actually reveals a little bit of his character in his heart, says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Reminds us of Philippians chapter two, doesn't it? Where Paul says that Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality of God a thing to be grasped, but what did he do? He humbled himself, took on flesh, and became human. And not only did he humble himself and become human, but he humbled himself to the point of death, and not any death, but the death of a criminal, the death of one on the cross. See, Jesus, the son of God, the all authoritative son of God, came to earth, took on flesh, became one of us, that we could be forgiven. And it's interesting because in verse 27, just above that, he even says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. So Jesus has all authority, and yet in his humanness, he is humble and gentle and lowly in heart. And then to wrap up, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you're picturing that big hunking piece of wood on the, on the shoulders, doesn't seem easy, doesn't seem light, but in comparison to the Pharisees at the time, if you were to go over to Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus is talking about the religious leaders, he says, oh man, the burden that they're putting on people's backs, all the rules and all the regulations, trying to teach your righteousness as it is man-made, trying to be good enough to please God on your own, they're putting this incredible burden on people. And they won't even use their finger to lift it. But Jesus is in that harness and he walks with us. He's bearing our load. So comparison to that yoke, oh, this is light and easy. First John 5.3 says, this is my commandment, that you love God and keep his commandments because his commandments are not burdensome. You see, when you, when you grow in your love for Jesus Christ, as you learn to love him more and more, you don't obey him out of obligation at all. You're simply obeying him because you love him so much. The reason you want to do what he says is because you love him from the depth of your being. It's not a burden to live for Jesus Christ. It's a privilege and an honor, and it's the only thing that gives life. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Ed. Didn't, isn't the cost of discipleship pretty tough? Didn't Jesus say something like, uh, got to deny yourself. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Pick up your cross, follow me. What did he say in uh, Luke chapter 14? He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. That's an easy yoke. That's a light burden. The Christian life isn't easy. Jesus isn't promising us a life free of difficulty. But what he is promising is he walks with us. 
Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. Why don't you turn there? I, I think this is a wonderful passage. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are looking, let's start in verse 17. Let's start in verse 16. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God. And if fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that may we also be glorified with him. And I love verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is gonna be revealed in us. Yeah, we'll have persecution. We will face trials and tribulation. But knowing that Jesus walks with us and knowing what Jesus has in store for us on the other side of glory, all brothers and sisters, it's worth it. It's a light burden. It's an easy yoke. Go to the left one chapter, uh, chapter six of Romans. We're slaves to something. Some of us are slaves to our schedule. Some of us are slaves to our phone. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching for which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become a slave to righteousness, we have a yoke as brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's a yoke that leads to righteousness and freedom. Ace B. Charles gives three illustrations that I just love. He's a pastor, and uh, he says, is it a, you take a tree, and this tree is just rooted in the ground. Storm comes, hurricane comes, tornado comes, and it rips that tree out of the ground. Do we say, Oh, I'm so thankful that tree is set free from the burden and the yoke of that soil. Or you got a fish, and that fish is in the water, and, a, and the, the, the fisherman drops the hook, yanks the fish out. And we don't think, oh, thank goodness that fish. I felt so sorry for that fish swimming in that water. So free, it's, it's, I'm so thankful it's free from the burden and the yoke of that, that ocean. No, that was what it was created for. It's not a... It's not a burden. You got a train barreling down the, the railroad track, comes along a curve, it's going so fast it jumps the track. Do we say, oh, finally, that poor train. It was stuck between those two rails all that time and now it's finally free. No, you see, the yoke of Jesus keeps us rooted and gives us life. The yoke of Jesus Christ has placed us so that we can enjoy him and his creation and his fullness, getting to know him for who he is. The yoke of Jesus Christ gives us guidance and direction. No matter what turns life may take, we know there's a destination that we are gonna reach. What does it mean to walk the way of Jesus? Let me just give you three and we'll close. First, he spent time alone with his father and surrendered to God's will. Morning, late at night, sometimes through the night, Jesus spent time with his heavenly father. 
prioritized time with God, surrendered his will to God's will. Do you know God is your heavenly father? Do you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ? Number two, Jesus lived on purpose, folks. He had a mission. What was that mission? He came to preach the good news of the kingdom, to have people come to faith in him that they could have eternal life. And then as he resurrected from the dead and gathered his men before he ascended back into heaven, he told those guys on that mountaintop, now it's your turn. My mission is your mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that's our mission. That's our purpose. To share about Jesus to a lost world. And finally, he invested in people. He loved people. More than projects, more than deadlines. I would contend that there's a lot of busy people in here, but I don't think there's anybody in here who's more busy than Jesus Christ was when he ministered on the earth. And yet, of all the examples in the New Testament and of his interactions with people, and by the way, I think if from our perspective, it looks like he had a lot of interruptions. <laughs> but of all the things that he did, he never seemed rushed or hurried. He made time to stop, to heal, to pray over, to feed, to teach, because people were his priority, not that other stuff. That's what it means to walk the way of Jesus. Well, as we wrap up, here's what I'd like us to do. Close your Bibles. Put your phone in your pocket. And I want you to put your hands on your lap. We're gonna rest. I don't want you looking around. Raise your hands. Put them on your lap. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you exhausted from the burden of busy? Do you constantly feel rushed, but yet you seem like you're getting nothing done? Remember first that rest is important. God made you to rest. Rest reminds us that we are not the ones in control. And that a rhythm of rest is even found within the creation account itself. Secondly, true rest, rest for your soul, is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to me. I will give you rest. Learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. Well, Jesus said, come, and we can come to him. You know why? Because he came to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Rest for your souls. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus Christ, God sent his perfect, sinless son to the earth to live a life where he was without sin. And he died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. And that's incredibly good news. But the best news is three days later, he rose again. And because Jesus Christ conquered death, when we place our faith in him, 
we know that someday we too shall live in heaven with him. That's rest for our souls. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to have that conversation. We have a team back here at the Follow Jesus table. That's our passion. Let's have a conversation. If you're walking in this morning and you are feeling the weight of burden, our care team is down here and we're kind of privileged just to have you come and we could just pray with you and love on you. And don't forget, we have missionaries in the rotunda would love to have you stop by and learn more about their ministry. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we meet again or until our Savior comes. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.